This is the Roaring Elephant Podcast, and we're here today to talk to Andre Deval, who's going to give us all the information we could possibly need or want about OpenDS for All. Let's get into it. So, welcome, uh, Andre Deval, who's here to talk to us about OpenDS for All. Welcome, Andre. Welcome to the Roaring Elephant Podcast. How are you doing today? I'm doing great. Thanks for the opportunity and inviting me to kind of speak about uh, what I've done and this fantastic open education project, Open Data Science for All. Fantastic. We've been uh, we've been following the the ODPI through its various uh, various endeavors for quite some time. So it's always interesting to uh, to hear about another one. But uh, perhaps you could start off with just. Uh, brief introduction to yourself like how did you how did you find yourself uh, involved in this and uh, you know what brought you here okay thanks very much um so as you can hear from the accent um i'm from the deep deep south and uh, originally from south africa where i was born and an academic and uh, did my phd in artificial intelligence in the united kingdom at the university of bristol went back to south africa was a faculty member then got the opportunity to come to the US about 10 years ago to work for a large IT company. And uh, about two years ago, um, I had the opportunity again to join IBM uh, in the expert labs currently as the um, academic technology lead. So uh, when I was a student, uh, I learned programming on an IBM 360. So for me, it was like coming full circle in the kind of in the twilight of my career. Um, coming back to IBM. Fantastic. I, I noticed that you were at, uh, as you mentioned, University of Bristol. And uh, actually, Bristol uh, is actually where I was uh, born and raised. So uh, it's, a, it's a city that has uh, is uh, close to my heart. So that's that's always always fun when there's a connection. How well, did you find... I uh, still have good education there, so Dave doesn't... Oh, so harsh, so harsh. <laughs> How did you uh, how did you find your time in the UK? I, I really enjoyed it um, as uh, getting a education from uh, a country like the US and one of the uh, UK and one of the top universities like Bristol. Um, those days it was all uh, the first generation computer pr project, beginning of artificial intelligence, and uh, I worked in logic programming and automated theorem proving. So it was all like logic and uh, before neural networks started taking over the world, that was kind of the state of the art of artificial intelligence. And I was lucky um, outside um, Japan, it was one of the biggest groups in artificial intelligence at the University of Bristol. And the founder uh, of, not the founder, but the uh, professor that uh, made Prologue popular, David Warren, he invented the Warren abstract machine. He was one of the faculty members there and my supervisor was uh, John Gadleher, uh, Irishman. And uh, I had a fantastic time, learned a lot. And uh, my love for academia just continued from there. Fantastic. I mean, as as you as you mentioned, like you've been involved in in academia, you know, quite some time um, throughout your your career. Uh, you spent some time at, at SAS and, and now at IBM, you're the uh, data and AI expert labs learning academic technology lead. 
which is a bit of a mouthful of a of a title. Exactly. But what does? How do you distill that down? What do you? What's your kind of day to day role? Okay, so um, I think one of the reasons I hired me is with my academic background, and you guys have probably had a few academics uh, on your show, uh, and. Uh, Academics are quite a different breed, so you kind of have to understand how they think and how they work to interact with them. Um, having a good standing with your peers is extremely important and some other things, enjoying what you work and being on the latest edge of technology. So I think one of the reasons they ask me uh, to join IBM is to exactly work with faculty and get faculty to adopt more IBM resources uh, curricula and uh, cloud resources in their um, courses, coursework, and in their programs, especially data science and artificial intelligence programs. Yeah, and it, it might be obvious to some that uh, that are already looking at uh, what OpenDS for all is. But then, how did you make that jump from from that role at IBM into? Um, the ODPI and the sort of specifically the OpenDS for all project. All right, yeah. So that, that's a good um, question. So about two and a half years, three years ago, my current manager, Anna Echeverri, um, she saw that there are many universities that really wants to start teaching data science, but they they struggling because it's not easy. You need skilled personnel, trained faculty, you need money, you need resources, cloud computing resources. And um, like we had 20, 30 years ago, computer literacy, where everybody needed to kind of be able to work with a computer. Now data science is becoming like computer literacy. Everybody knows, must know how to work with data. So she saw, saw opportunity that there are many universities all over the world India, Africa, Asia, and even in Europe that really wants to get into data science, but they're struggling. So she decided to start this project, uh, Open Data Science for All, which is, as I said, an open education project to develop a set of data science modules that can help universities and schools uh, accelerate the development of their data science programs. So um, it is all about data science and artificial intelligence, but helping universities and faculties and even universities that already have content, maybe adding uh, additional content to their programs, uh, helping them to really kind of make a dent in this shortage of data scientists that we have. You always hear that there are such a large number of open positions and everybody, Facebook, Google, Amazon, IBM, everybody is like, um, taking up all the data scientists that the universities can deliver and there's not enough of them. So uh, trying to uh, contribute something uh, to make a dent in the shortage of data scientists. So that's the idea behind the project. And then when I joined IBM with my academic background and my um, advanced analytics background uh, from my previous uh, job at SAS Institute, uh, they thought that I would be the, the right person to interface uh, around data science with universities and see if we can make some uh, progress in uh, delivering more data scientists um, out of universities worldwide. It's a, it's a pretty lofty goal to try and, you know, accelerate the uh, the amount of data science scientists um, available to industry. Like I can definitely see the 
there's a, a huge, um, yeah, a huge lack of, of kind of really uh, skilled data scientists that it's the uh, definitely one of the roles that continues to be uh, very hot in terms of recruitment and uh, industries, as you say, kind of snapping them up left and right. Um, it sort of who when when you talk about the sort of the the growth, how long do you think it takes? Like, can someone literally go through one of these, um, you know, one of these courses, and you know, do they really pop out the other side as, you know, certified data science? data scientist ready to go um you know all the skills and everything they need or or what else what else is is kind of needs to be built on top of it yeah so i, I think you are correct you're not going to become a data scientist <clears throat> by just doing one of these online courses at ibm or coursera or edx or any of these other platforms um, what we've learned from universities is that uh, many universities teach data science and um, advanced analytics but the issue sometimes comes in that the student has the piece of paper or the certificate but when you ask that student to actually do something they struggle they don't have the hands-on experience and the practical experience so um, i think learning on the job is very important so one of the things that we did with this project was not just develop a set of videos or powerpoint slide decks but also practical hands-on exercises and we chose um, uh, python as the language because it seems to be kind of dominating data science at this stage so to give the theoretical kind of introduction or background to data science machine learning and so on but also developed with that uh, a set of Jupyter notebooks that uh, professors and students can then use and run to show them the practical application of what uh, is discussed in the uh, lectures. But um, giving a bit more information, uh, so this, this Open Data Science for All was developed by uh, professors for professors. So we did a deliberate, made a deliberate decision by IBM by IBM not to develop it ourselves, but to really get faculty to develop it for academia. So it's based on a introductory data science course at the University of Pennsylvania. And two professors there, Zach Ives and Susan Davidson, they actually developed the content for us. So it's really with an academic intent that we developed this. Uh, so a university can take the content as it is and basically if they have somebody that's able to teach this and the right execution uh, platform, they can start a data science program in very short time, which otherwise might have taken them weeks or months or even years uh, to get everything up and running. So that's the kind of intention of this is really, really to accelerate the development. Obviously, the universities have to contribute things as well, personnel and salaries and so on. But from the technology front, we'll contribute what we can to help make a success. So am I right? And also that apart from uh, having a nice amount of collateral to share with these professors so they can actually make a curriculum out of it, you're also trying to kind of make a standard where because you mentioned the Coursera, the EDXs, and everybody in the data science, me included, I must admit, we kind of got all the information we could get to kind of get some background to get this started. But by having this DS4All curriculum set up, is, I mean, at the moment, I didn't see it on the, on the website anyway, there's, there's, there's no certification or 
quality, a stamp of approval, thing, anything like that. But just by having this collateral as a unified thing and handing it out, I also trying to get some formalization, some standardization in if somebody has done this training, this is the amount of expertise the person should have? That's a good question. Um, we are not there yet. So the intention was to develop this as a set of building blocks. Think of it as Lego blocks that anybody can then use and mix and match and then help them to uh, formalize their curriculum. So obviously um, we have PowerPoint slide decks, we have Jupyter notebooks, but we don't have videos or recordings at this stage of um, the lectures. So uh, during the last week, um, I had several comments come my way say that it'd be great if we can record these videos and make it available on YouTube uh, for people to actually kind of see this stuff being taught because I think the, the material is uh, extremely good standard. Um, if you're a student and you're completely new to the topic, you might struggle going through mm -hmm. the content. So it would be helped, uh, would help a lot if you have somebody giving pointers and uh, helping you and telling you what's important and so on and leading you through the way. So we are definitely working on this and the Linux Foundation is, is a great help in this. Uh, a couple of months ago, we developed two Linux Foundation uh, badges and uh, Acclaim or Credly is one of the companies that manages the badges. So we have two Acclaim uh, badges. One is a contributor badge and then we have a technical steering committee badge for Open Data Science for All. But in the same vein, we're thinking of maybe uh, a badge for completion of uh, the content but obviously when you do that you have to make sure that uh, students actually do the work and they attain some kind of knowledge remember something at the end so maybe a test or a quiz uh, at the end there's also um, we've been uh, asked to develop uh, edX or uh, Coursera or any of the other platform uh, courses that exactly does that uh, the only issue at this stage is um, we don't have the manpower to do that. So uh, if there are any academics listening out there and they feel they can turn the content that we have into an edX course, it's um, under uh, the Creative Commons license. So it's a permissive license. So anybody can basically use the content and work with us. That, that's an opportunity. So hopefully within the next year or so, we'll be able to make that happen as well because we've We've heard this comment that even universities say, okay, if we use your, your content or part of your content, does do students get a certificate or badge or something at the end to show that they've mastered the content? So that is a, a very important thing is just um, things take time and uh, we hopefully we'll get there uh, at some stage. Yeah, asking on contributions, that's the open source way. I like it. <laughs> exactly, yes. So I think also um, to comment on that, this is one of the first projects. It's an open education project, but we run it as an open source software project. So this was also kind of a, I wouldn't say a gamble, but uh, a new take on this. And there are obviously pros and cons of doing it this way, but we really embrace the open source uh, paradigm and the way they do things that anybody can contribute. The content is free. We like, we would like to uh, contribute something to the community. And uh, so that's, that's the kind of the mindset with which we went into this uh, project. 
just thinking about the idea of uh, the the open ds for all project making the videos and having it all prepared uh, is there also a desire from your your group out, out that the educational institutions that use it, the, the tooling have their own, I don't know, culture around it, have their own idea, little, massage a little bit to present their own values inside it as well? Because if you start sending uh, them the videos as well, it's kind of, yeah, they don't have to do anything anymore. They just point the students to the GitHub and it's done. So how do you, live, how do you manage that, do you think? Yeah, so that's a good point. So uh, a really good example of how this can be used is we've been working with the University of Manchester in the UK, and um, they already have an established and very good data science program. So uh, I spoke to a professor from enviro environmental science. So as I said, data science is becoming like computer literacy. Uh, environmental analytics has a lot of data and uh, they still use Fortran manipul manipulating the data. So they wanted to start their own data science program, but they didn't want to use the mainstream stuff that's already available at the university. So for them, OpenDS for all the modules was a perfect fit. What they're going to do is they're going to add use cases from the environmental analytics uh, and environmental area and supplement the content that we have and add that, and that is basically going to be the course that they teach, the introductory course to data science. So we see this uh, happening at many schools in the US as well, that there are 300 or so data science and advanced analytics programs, but there's, a, let's say, it's a college at a university that wants to get into data science, but they don't want to either send all their students to the main data science class because it might be a bit, let's say, too uh, programming orient oriented for the students or maybe the not the right level of difficulty. So they want their own spin, their own take on data science and we give them the opportunity to take the content which is good validated content, uh, put your own stamp on it, your own flavor, add your own flavor to it and then you have a really uh, interesting data science program that students will enjoy. Because uh, data science is a very broad range, right? It's from the simple statisticians almost up until the yeah neural networks, AI. Exactly. Things. Yeah. So you you mentioned um, contributions and a number of different organisations that are that are you know contributing to this. The the sort of the Linux Foundation sort of AI and data um, members list is. Uh, you know, a a pretty uh, diverse set of organisations. You know, the the premier uh, ones are you know a lot of the you know, biggest tech firms that you'd expect to see uh, in this space. You know, everyone from you know AT and T, Huawei, SaaS, um, ING, Red Hat. You know, VMware. Um, you've got you know the associate members, you know a lot of the uh, you know, Penn State and a lot of the other academic organisations. Uh, I can definitely see the 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 sort of the academic organisations and the way that the sort of part that they play in this story. But it, are the um, the commercial organisations are they also contributing into this, or is that other parts of the Linux Foundation AI and data um, program? Um, I think um, we are an exception 
that we are so academically focused. There are basically two academic projects. It's datapractices.org and OpenDS mm -hmm. for all. We are the kind of more education oriented projects. Most of the other yeah. projects uh, work more closely with uh, industry, but we have on our technical steering committee, we have SAS Institute uh, represented, which is one of the full members of uh, the Linux Foundation data and I, uh, AI as well. So there is definitely uh, interest from uh, industry as well. Uh, another member is the University of Washington. Uh, so we have a professor there, Haluk de Merkan, as part of the technical steering committee. We have uh, a professor from uh, UC Berkeley, from the, the uh, director from uh, the Data Science Institute, David Mongo, as part of the technical steering committee. So although these are universities and uh, faculty, they have a strong connection with industry. And uh, we're obviously trying to uh, walk this fine line between industry and academia. Not sure if we're succeeding, but we're trying our best. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I mean, there's, there's clearly um, something to be gained for industry. You know, the the people like SAS Institute, for example, the more data scientists that there are out there, the more licenses and, and seats they can sell to enterprises that are using those data scientists, of course. There's uh, you know definitely a, a vested interest that uh, they, I can see there. Um, also, um, just to, to add to that, um, so, um, sometimes people ask, um, why did IBM invest in this and make all this uh, for free? Obviously, we, we embrace open source uh, and that's the way IBM uh, works. But also, um, sometimes you have to give something back if all the data scientists that gets uh, generated by this program doesn't come and work for IBM, that's fine. At least we're increasing the pool of data scientists out there and that uh, assists or helps the community in general and that lifts up the data science uh, profession in general and then as you indicated Dave that this benefits all other companies basically working in the data science space and needing data scientists to actually run and operate so it's a it's a philanthropical kind of view that we took that let's contribute something back and uh, IBM has done this in in the past contributing uh, a lot of money to open source and so on. So IBM has its kind of great moments in, in contributing to society as well. Definitely, definitely. And that was the end of part one of our discussion with Andre because he had so much goodness to share with us. We made it a two-parter. So tune in again next week where we have the second part of the interview up and uh, published. Uh, with that, I guess a big thank you to Andre for spending time with us. Absolutely. Absolutely. All, always good to, to chat about uh, data science and it's, uh, and in this particular case, the ability for us to uh, get more people involved in data science. Yeah, because uh, heed the call, it's an open source project, so if you can contribute, just do it. And with that, I think I can say that's all the time we have for today. I think so. You can support the podcast by becoming a Patreon. Every contribution does help. If you're on YouTube, you can like, subscribe, hit the notification bell, do all the YouTube stuff that Dave likes so very, very much. You can go to www.roaringelephant.org. There's links there to the Patreon page, YouTube page, and all the rest that we do. And you can follow me on Twitter using the at Elephant tag, and you might even see an elusive tweet of mine, because I've been really slacking on that part, I must admit. 
Apart from that, you can also still send email to podcast at rollingalpha.org. If you have any good ideas, people should talk to, people should invite on the show, let us know. We're happy to oblige where we can. And with that, until next time, my name is, I'm not all the est out yet, Jon. <laughs> my name is still, still not entirely sure about Academia, Dave. Mm, go back to school. It's good. We look forward to talk to you again next week. Goodbye. See you then.